Welcome back, everybody, to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I am your host, Eric Anthony. I think this is episode 229 or 230. I'm not even sure where we are right now, but I'm very, very happy to be podcasting with you this week with my good friend and friend of the show, Mr. Sam Noir. Sam, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to uh, hang out and chat and talk geekdom with you. How are you doing? Not too bad. Always happy to be here. Gives us something to do while uh, Toronto remains in lockdown. So, uh, yeah, anytime you want me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be on the show. Oh, I love, I love having you and uh, Kevin on a lot more recently because you guys just tickle my fancy when it comes to the fan theories. I, I absolutely <laughs> love how imaginative you guys are. And like I say all the time, you guys are so well-read. So there's always something that I learn or that I want to read after I talk to you. So hopefully people listening get that same sort of uh, info vibe that I get from it. Um, you're and we're always... going to enter full spoilers territory a little later, I'm, I'm sure, once we uh, get chatting. A hundred percent. So anyone listening, we will talk spoilers about the things we bring up. So if you don't, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about now because we do this off the cuff, which is what makes it fun. But uh, be prepared. WandaVision will probably be spoiled. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ted There's Lasso. No way I am not, not going to talk about WandaVision yeah, this week. Yeah, we have to. So uh, with that said, you are one of the hardest working men in our city when it comes to indie comic book creators. Talk about some of the stuff you're working on and, and tell people where they can go and find it. Uh, launching in a few weeks, uh, we are collecting uh, the comic strip, the popular webcomic, formerly known as fan fiction, formerly known as Fandemonium, now known as Fandemic, just to be a little more uh, topical. Uh, collecting our comic strips that make fun of uh, all kinds of geeky pop cultures. So uh, Star Wars, Batman, uh, superheroes, Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, you name it. Uh, it was a popular webcomic, and we are finally going to take uh, the comics, add new material, add a new cover. Uh, my uh, creative partner, Dave Francioso, who uh, draws most of uh, Fandemic, our comic strip, uh, and myself uh, will be expanding the volume. And uh, we have some great guest artists on board, including uh, Jason Takowitz, uh, Robert Freeman, Rena Rochaz, uh, Carl Howard. And so uh, folks can go over to Kickstarter and type in Fandemic. F-A-N-D-E-M-I-C, or they can go uh, look for me at Hey Sam Noir on Twitter, Instagram, and they can purchase uh, some of the comics I have out in the world right now. Uh, Bally Skillen, my augmented reality uh, fantasy series based on Irish mythology, as well as Cauldron Magazine, our mature readers uh, uh, anthology of supernatural tales, which I do with my good friends Ricky, Shane, and Casey. So they can pick that up at raid.world and Bally Skillen's at the printers Cauldron is, uh, the latest issue of Cauldron is headed for the printers soon and uh, that is, I am done with, with my shilling, let us get on with the show <laughs> It's never a problem with uh, to continue Merchandising <laughs> Actually with you. <laughs> Speaking of your books, before we continue I, uh, I did the preview read of Bally Skillen and uh, it's a beautiful book. 
I'm really oh, excited you. for you guys. Yeah, it looks great. The uh, the dialogue was just on point. I was able to read in, in the accents, I think, that you intended it to be. And um, I, it makes me want to continue to see what, what happens next. It's just the, the right way to start a story that could be pretty much, it could lead us anywhere, right? With this new yeah. world that we, we find ourselves in in, in Ireland. So, Absolutely. Uh, uh, the co-creator Andrew Dorlin and I were really uh, intent on creating a, a, a story engine, as they call it, with, uh, you know, again, there's some main cast members that we've introduced, but uh, there will be kind of a rotating cast and even rotating time periods that we're going to be exploring in this story. And I'm so happy that... Uh, uh, artist and co-creator Andrew Dorland gave me this opportunity. He's my uh, studio mate here at Raid Studios, and I I've always wanted to do a contemporary fantasy. So, yeah, delighted. No, it's it's uh, it's really good. I was really I was really pr- proud of you guys. Happy that you guys were on the show, but to see the the product kind of hit the screen or hit the pages, if you will, um, you you just happy to be there on ground floor. So it's always nice to see you guys when the project is done and complete and you see all the hard work come to fruition it's really cool we're very close it's at the printers as we speak we're just waiting for the proof uh you know we we had some interesting uh developments uh uh, during during this uh, particular phase trying to between the lockdown and uh actually we had to switch printers uh very suddenly just because some personal tragedy that happened to our previous printer which is a shame because we really really loved working with uh the printer that we had they're a family business uh they're they use recycling material you know they're local so it sort of ticked all the boxes but uh, unfortunately the the gentleman who we we work with uh, passed away very very suddenly so we just had to uh, readjust a little bit and now we're kind of uh, looking for a new printer for uh, cauldron as well but uh, you know uh, our hearts go out to, to his family like I said it's a family business and it's a shame that uh, they are uh, you know on top of the pandemic that they do have to to shutter uh, their business. We we really, really liked giving them uh, our business and recommended them to to all our friends. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, something we're, we're dealing with and moving forward with. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, we can get them into the hands of our backers, even though it's a, a tiny bit late. And folk, hopefully folks will be a little understanding towards uh, the extraordinary circumstances we're working under. Yeah, I think everybody is more understanding than ever when it comes to things not being as per normal as per usual, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it still it still doesn't lessen the excitement, though. I think because um, there's one thing I, I haven't used the augmented reality with the preview ah. version, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to getting the hard copy and the paper the, version. Yeah, and and using both at the same time. I think there's that'll be a very cool instead of having like a phone. And the iPad in front of your computer screen, yeah, yeah, it'd be cool to use the the digital with the original kind of style of it all, and and see both mediums uh, work together. That'll be cool for sure, especially yeah. as a storytelling element. We were really really excited about uh, the opportunity because uh, Andrew is an animator. 
uh, as his day job, and he does animatics, uh, or sorry, uh, he does storyboards and animatics. So we're very much looking forward to, uh, uh, yes, getting getting the actual comic in our hands and seeing how his uh, animations enhance the storytelling experience. It's not just a gimmick. We actually incorporate uh, uh, storytelling into uh, the animated sequences. Yeah. And, and that was something that knowing that about what, what the design of the, the whole package is, I knew that as I was reading the issue, I said, I can't wait to see all of the extra stuff built into this that just adds the flavor to the characters in the world that you guys are building. It'll be very cool. And you just look at the expressiveness and the uh, the 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 complexity of Andrew's art and yeah. uh, it just blows my mind that uh, he actually animates uh, uh, you know the panel essentially and uh, extends the panel so you actually get a bigger sense of the the world that I can't even I think uh, you saw the opening sequence which is basically the the remnants of a battle scene right and I can't wait for folks to you know put on the AR and Andrew actually drew the battle scene and, and a lot of the stuff that sort of preceded the, the uh, aftermath that we're opening the story with. So, uh, and, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much the way uh, he operated throughout animating uh, throughout the book. So very excited to start uh, to release this out in the wild and start seeing the uh, reactions from folks, particularly on uh, social media from the, from the people that, uh, you know, who, who aren't uh, friends of ours. Right. Uh, that's always kind of exciting to see what happens once you re, you know release your work into the wild, so to speak. Right. But I'm really happy that we've managed to you know sneak uh, digital copies to friends of ours like yourself to be able to check it out. Has there been? I know you're, you've just mentioned you can't wait for that reaction, but has there been any anybody coming to you guys discussing like the quality of how you design the AR animation? yet or is it still something that you're waiting to to get the response for um in terms of readers uh, i mean we've been on different uh you know live streams and things like that podcasts where folks have gotten to use it and yeah they've been actually very excited to to see it but uh, in terms of folks whom i haven't spoken with i'm very curious you know what their reaction is and uh, hopefully the technology is such that you know it'll be easy for them to use in terms of we've we've put the qr code right in the front of the book. So uh, that'll lead them right to the download for the uh, app that they need, the Ballyskillen app, which is a, a free download. And once they install that and uh, point the camera, it should easily come alive. So yeah, really, really looking forward to the reaction, particularly the Easter eggs. We've sort of seeded in a lot of Easter eggs as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like we discussed when you both were on the show, uh, previously when AR has been something featured in an in a issue that you buy and they say, oh, download the app. and It's never really been fulfilling the way, mm -hmm. the way you guys have designed it to be an actual feature of the book and, and the storytelling. So it would be, I don't know, it would be cool to see them, uh, any company, try to do what you guys have done and to see uh, if maybe you guys would be the ones to do it, like it, because you've kind of mastered it. 
in a way. Mm-hmm. That, that would be kind of fun. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, uh, it's very labor intensive. I think we discussed that and the fact that uh, only Andrew is crazy enough to, to yeah. sort of put in that amount of uh, work. Because, you, know, anim- you know, regular animation, uh, you, they use teams of people and, uh, you know, send it overseas to be animated. And you'd be astonished right. at the scope of the world that he's kind of created you know he's actually built the little town uh of valley skill and almost like a hollywood movie set in in terms of uh the buildings are there but they're sort of flat two-dimensional sitting on the road so as soon as if you're walking around the sort of ar environment uh, uh you know it looks amazing on the street but then uh he sort of moves the camera uh you know, up a little bit, and then you see sort of the the Hollywood movie set, which is which is kind of cool. We should uh, share some more uh, behind the scenes stuff, especially uh, to our fans and supporters. Folks can actually uh, go to ballyskillen.com and uh, join our mailing list as well. And uh, hopefully, we'll be doing more videos and uh, and giving people a peek behind the scenes at the process. That's great. And, uh, I, I mean, yeah, like I said, I can't wait for people to see it and for when, when we all are able to get back together and, and be together in groups at these shows to be able to have that there on your table to add to your uh, plethora of books that you're working on. It's going to be really, really cool. Maybe by that time they'll have numerous issues to add to that set. So Here's hoping, yeah. Yeah, I think you guys will do it. You're, you're a, a guy who executes his – whenever he says yes, you execute, uh, you come through. So <laughs> that's, that's – rare and it's nice uh, it's very kind of you to say sir speaking of of uh thinking about you like i i said to you a couple i think it was last week when you asked me what i was up to reading i was saying i was i was for the first time reading she hulk by dan slot and it just felt like something that uh you would have a a, a kinship to in a way because of your appreciation for quirky humor but rich like heart um pulling the heartstring storytelling and it reminded mm-hmm. me of you while I was reading it. Have you read that run? Uh, it's been a while, but I, I did read it when it was first coming out again. Uh, not a lot of it sticks out, but I do remember it. I did enjoy it. I think, uh, I loved, uh, was it the mad thinkers? Awesome. Android, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. is a, is a supporting character in the office. Uh, that's right. The law yeah. office that she works in. I always uh, got a kick out of that, but, uh, yeah, Dan Slott is someone who does, uh, that sort of uh, hu- you know, action comedy humor, and even uh, there's there's uh, it's a little bit of a procedural sometimes, in that there is uh, court drama yeah, going yeah. on, and uh, I can totally see this uh, uh, being the basis for the She-Hulk uh, TV show. Yeah, I haven't read any She-Hulk other than her being in like the Fantastic Four, or the Avengers prior to this, so it's uh, my first time dipping my toe into that that world of, of a character who is associated with that, you know, rampaging, immortal, incredible Hulk, where she's mm-hmm. now this person who's always, you know, got her regular lucid psyche present while she's still able to be uh, the She-Hulk, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I never read the Charles Sewell she-Hulk. I've heard that was was very good as well because he's he's an attorney at law himself. So his oh is he okay? Yeah. I, I haven't read that run either. Okay, yeah. So 
have you read the John Byrne run? I'm sure you have. Oh yeah, no, uh, I that's how I first discovered. Uh, well, no, that's not true. I was aware of the character in her own comic book series, and uh, I probably flipped through it as a kid. And then uh, she had joined the Avengers, which was really fun, and then went off to fight the Secret Wars. But for me, it was all about that. Uh, that uh, and we'll talk about Secret Wars in a little bit because you're you've just read the I original just read series, it, yeah. but uh, I had started reading um, uh, John Byrne's Fantastic Four, and all of a sudden, you know, you had this thing where Sue was pregnant, yeah, and uh, the other three disappeared, and then they came back, and Ben wasn't there, and yeah. there's She Hulk wearing an FF outfit, and I I found that really exciting, and then. Uh, and then, yeah, they. I think that uh, went right away into uh, the miscarriage. Uh, I think Sue Sue had the the miscarriage of uh, her daughter, which again gets very convoluted plot wise. But uh, yeah, and then and then she brought a real sort of playful element. Like it, you you had been so used to the you know the Fantastic Four with the thing, and then just having a character who. Uh, you know, surprisingly wasn't like the Hulk. She was kind of quirky and funny and fun-loving, and and uh, I think she really added an element, and you could tell uh, John Byrne really loved uh, not only drawing this character, but uh, drawing a character that, that just loved being a superhero. So, uh, and and uh, did you read John Byrne's She-Hulk run? No, that's, that's what I had been, I was asking about, uh, his because I know he wrote her into the Fantastic Four, but then he was also a, a few times associated with the sensational She-Hulk run. Yeah, yeah. So she had – I think it was a little – it was in and around the time, if not just after – uh, Giffen and Dimitrius's uh, Justice League had sort of uh, gotten a certain degree of popularity by bringing a mixture of humor, especially in that those you know days when uh, Frank Miller was really uh, uh, doubling down on grim and gritty comics. Uh, so uh, we often forget we we sort of cite uh, Giffen and Dimitrius, but uh, John Byrne had also uh, brought that in when he launched. He went back to Marvel and. Uh, from from DC after working on Superman and launching uh, She-Hulk into her own series where she would constantly break the fourth wall well before Daredevil. So, or sorry, uh, Deadpool. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see if she's a fourth wall breaker in her own TV series and uh, if she will run into Deadpool and, in the MCU and uh, they'll make some sort of meta commentary about that. Yeah, that, that's a good point, especially the way the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, un, uses all of the characters' little idiosyncrasies or things they're known for in a way to enhance storytelling for other parts of the universe. It'll be so, Absolutely. If she breaks the fourth wall, there will be more to it than just like a, a comic book gag. Mm-hmm. So that and I think cool. the way she she broke it, uh, it was a very much it was kind of different than the way uh, uh, Deadpool did it. You know, Deadpool had it in a sort of Bugs Bunny fashion, whereas I I can't remember was it Ally McBeal that was the lawyer that would always break the fourth wall? I don't know, but maybe I 
I, I feel like there it, it was a little more sort of uh, uh, quirky in in that way, and uh, she was also uh, playing with things like you know panel borders or talking to John Byrne, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a famous issue where uh, she lost a bet or something like that, and then had to jump rope <laughs> for pages and pages, and that was just ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, overall, I think you could tell Byrne was having a lot of fun. Uh, in a way, he he normally doesn't uh, uh, with his all his other stuff. Like it, it really stands out amongst his work. Yeah, it it sounds like it does because it it seems like a first of, and sometimes uh, a first of that we tend to forget because I, when you mentioned how she interacted with the the writer, it made me think of Grant Morrison and Animal Man, which would have mm-hmm. also come after, right? So, yeah, yeah. Or around the same time. It, yeah, it probably would have come just a little after, but it was in and around sort of the, the late 80s, early 90s uh, period of comics. Yeah, and to, and to do that and know all of a sudden the, the doors of creativity and imagination you open up when you uh, are now talking to the creator at the same time, knowing that your universe is still being affected, like all of those meta things that occur because of it is really really cool and uh, obviously Grant Morrison that became kind mm-hmm. of his uh, his go to in a way Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, some people thought it was a little self-indulgent. I think uh, Byrne had originally drawn himself into uh, his run of the Fantastic Four, for example, and that he often would kind of do that in uh, She-Hulk to the point where uh, I think he launched essentially, uh, this is the great thing about, uh, you know, our audience and comments and stuff, folks can uh, let us know, but uh, I believe he came, he launched the She-Hulk series, but then left within the first eight or 12 issues somewhere in there it was a very short run uh initially and then he actually came back uh like 20 issues later 15 20 issues later after i think steve gerber uh stepped in for a little while but uh there was a cheeky little gag with uh john byrne trying to nail up uh, the number of the issue that he had left off with. And, and uh, you know, again, some folks thought it was uh, a little self-indulgent. But as a kid, when I, I read that, I thought that was all part of the, the fun of the, the title, especially in the, in the you know, Watchmen, post-Watchmen, post-Dark Knight, grim and gritty uh, era. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you brought up a name that I just have one of their books holding up my iPad, so I want to ask you about it. I think you may have told me, but Keith Giffen, Legion of Superheroes, five years later. Did you ever read that? I did. I did. And, uh, you know, I liked it. I, I, I didn't love it like some people did. And it doesn't, uh, to be honest, it doesn't sort of uh, stick uh, too hard in, in my mind, again, because they were doing, I think he was hindered by them doing somersaults in order to uh, fit with that post-crisis continuity. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, where you had, uh, what was it, uh, Kent Shakespeare or something like that that was <laughs> supposedly the the descendant of, uh, uh, of Superman, but maybe he wasn't, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So, right, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah, I... I liked it. I really liked what he was sort of doing at the time. He had that uh, Jose Munez kind of uh, tribute style that right. he had really kind of leaned into. He was really playing with the nine panel grids yeah. that 
uh, yeah, it was, and it was a real sort of contrast because he was sort of going a little more grim and gritty in contrast to what he was doing in, in Justice League. And of course, he was drawing the the five years later as well. And I think uh, he had scripters, right? Some Tom and Mary Beerbomb. Yeah, you got a great memory. Were the, yeah. were, were the scripters? Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I preferred uh, sort of a title like Ambush Bug. Again, a humor title where he was just, uh, uh, yeah, trying a lot of experimental things, breaking the war- fourth wall, referring to other industry professionals. It was very inside baseball. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, it was a fairly enjoyable read at the time. But, uh, uh, yeah, I have, I have, yeah, I couldn't recall, you know, very many storylines. I know uh, Lobo would show up. Mm. Uh I, I think, <laughs> I think, and again, I might be getting my Legion runs confused just because it's been rebooted so many times. Right, like, and, and I've and never read. Time. I've never read any Legion really, and a lot oh, of times okay. people when I when I would ask people what they would recommend, um, no one. F- I haven't met anybody yet really who has given me a a good sort of jumping on point. It's yeah, this is the thing. There, there's always a tough, and and you know, even even the five years later, because it is sort of a fresh start, but it does refer to a sort of a lot of uh, past, you know, continuity as well. And you kind of it helps to know who the Legion characters are because they sure. are thrust five years later, and yeah. there's a new status quo, etc. I, I honestly, yeah, it's. You know, every time there's a reboot, I do try to sort of jump on for a little while, but then it uh, it eventually sort of uh, spirals into its own continuity. If there was one place where you could probably jump on fairly easily and uh, just enjoy that run, I would say it's uh, Mark Wade's run. And I'm trying to remember who his the artist uh, was. It Kitson. Very. It might have been Kitson. It might have been Kitson. I know. He uh, I know Kitson had. I know Kitson had done, um, what was it called, uh, Legion 89 with uh, Keith Giffen, which was the contemporary, like 20th century, or I should say, yeah, 20th slash 21st century uh, version of uh, the Legion of Superheroes featuring um, uh, Brainiac 5's uh, ancestor. Mm. Uh, I think it was, whatever his name was, Real Dax or whatever, and Lobo was a member as well. And again, that was another series that, you know, they tried to bring the Legion continuity into a more reader-friendly context of the contemporary uh, uh, DCU at the time. And uh, again, I, I enjoyed it at the time. It was it was Giffen, it was Lobo, but ultimately uh, none of it really sticks out in my mind. You know what I mean? It, it, I, I bring it home. I'd read it, and then after a while, I felt like it kind of petered off, so I, I stopped reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for you, if if you are wanting to get into the Legion of Superheroes, uh, yeah, Mark Wade's run is fairly self-contained. It's fairly enjoyable. I think there's only probably like twenty, maybe thirty issues of it. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I I don't know why I had this. I don't know if it was the packaging. I think it. I think a part of part of it was the way it was presented in its omnibus form but the five years later I w- I've wanted to read it because it seemed like a a uh, a different take but a challenge where it took like this happy 31st century future where all of the characters were so silly named 
that now it made it dystopian and something happened that you've got to you figure out as you're going along. So and it and it takes place in that post uh, Dark Knight Returns Watchmen era. So the mm-hmm. nine panel grid and then at the end of each issue had like this this text or this prose page where you got an info dump of of a newspaper clipping or something like that. So it was just like the challenge of it made me want to own this thing. So it, I'm going to oh, give okay. it a shot. And I hope that it pays off because it is the whole well, run of Giffen. Oh, is it? Okay. How many issues was it? It's got 39 issues. Oh, that's not too bad. Okay. And uh, it's got a couple of miniseries and annuals that t- – so I think it goes for the first four year, four or five years of the, of the book. And mm-hmm. it, and it um, there's actually an issue of the time and time again Superman – with, oh, yeah, yeah, where they inter- try to yeah. incorporate him into the, And there were a few, I think there was a pocket. They, they did a lot of continuity patching, which, again, yeah. I think uh, over the years, the continual reboots and the continual continuity patching that they tried to do is the reason why it sort of spiraled out of control. Like every so often, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember if uh, Wade's Legion spun out of like one of those crossovers, like Infinite Crisis or something like Zero that. Zero Hour or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and it was, okay, I'll, I'll give it another try because they're rebooting yet again and, and this is a good jumping on point. But I always feel like I read it for a while and then it just sort of peters off for, for me. Uh, Wade's, I think I actually stuck through. There's another series called Legion Lost uh, by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, yeah. who uh, did, uh, 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 shoot, what's the crossover that Guardians of the Galaxy, the new Guardians of the Galaxy spun out of? Annihilation. Uh, Annihilation, yeah, yeah. So it was that team. And actually, Legion Lost was a pretty good 12-issue limit, uh, uh, limited series, which, again, rebooted the Legion. But uh, then I started following it, and then, and then yeah, I did, my interest sort of petered off after a while. And it's very typical. But um, let me know, because it, it feels like, a daunting task whenever I sort of go back and flip through those five year later issues. And, and if you have the attention span and, uh, I'll try. the, uh, wi- uh, the, the DC Wikipedia entries, uh, next to you in order to, to follow all the different character threads and what their continuity was at that particular point in time, yeah. let me know, let me know if uh, <laughs> it is worth the investment. Cause, cause I, I have, I, I think I have gone back and, and tried to reread, uh, uh, uh again, I, I probably don't have the attention span for it. No, I, I don't know if I will either, but the, the way that the, they set up this particular book at the back of it, like the bonus content, it's, it's like the who's who section, um, entries oh, okay. for all of these essential characters that you need to know, okay. like their backstory. So in a so way, you'll just flip to the back every time to see who's who. And it seems like uh, they've designed it to, to, to work. Because there's a Supergirl analog as well, I think, called like yeah. Laurel Kent or something like that. Like there's Kent Shakespeare or Kent. There's a there's a lot of that kind of again continuity patching as yeah. as they say that just sort of pulls you out of it after a while. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. And you know, I feel like this is this is a thing that DC cannot escape. They can't it, whether it's in their television universe, movie universe, or their comic book universe. This constant need to fix and reboot and you don't know where you are anymore or what yeah, is yeah. what so it's I, it's almost like uh i enjoy their their catalog over the mm-hmm. years like post-crisis a lot of their catalog when you get it in 
nice chunks. They're good reads. Oh, but, yeah. But if you go from, you know, sometimes one year to the next, there's a whole new thing that you've missed out on and something that's completely different that you could mm-hmm. – you don't feel that when you read Marvel. No, for sure, because like they'll, they'll just sort of if, – if there's something that doesn't quite fit in continuity, they'll just sort of ignore it. You know what I mean? Or in the case of Roy Thomas, he'll come up with some crazy, like convoluted uh, explanation for it. Like actually, uh, once we get into WandaVision, we can, we can start getting into some <laughs> of the, the flip-flops that uh, the, the 70s era – uh, writers who are all hardcore comic book fans uh, would indulge in in order to create uh, uh, this continuity, the complex continuity that we're we're now engaged in. Now, uh, supposedly, Doomsday Clock was going to spin off uh, Legion, and yeah. so uh, I believe Bendis's latest uh, Legion of Superheroes series spun out of that, and. I've been meaning to, you know, I put it on sort of my list of things to check out, but I, I haven't yeah. yet. Uh, I couldn't even uh, keep up with Bendis's uh, ongoing Superman run, to, to be honest. Uh, and, and usually I like to read Bendis stuff in chunks, but sometimes it gets away from me and then I never end up reading it. So yeah. uh, I'll start reading. So I started reading uh, Bendis's uh, Superman run and then it kind of got away from me. And now it just seems kind of daunting to... to dig into it again and then put legion of superheroes on top of that which is tied in continuity wise because uh i believe is it jonathan kent uh, uh superboy his son clark's son or superman and lois's son who is the superboy of that series right i think so i i haven't um I haven't completed reading that bendis superman run i i'm like you i wanted to read it in chunks and the mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed him and Ivan Rice uh, together on the Superman mm-hmm. book just because of the the beautiful art. Like Ivan well, yeah. Ivan Rice it reminds me of a combination of Neil Adams and uh, George Perez when it comes to the the anatomy of his his characters it reminds me of Neil Adams but the amount of things he'll put on a panel is very George Perezian. Like he, I, I can totally see that. And, and a little bit of Brian Hitch as well, I'd, I'd yes, say. Yes, yes. And so just the fun of seeing Superman, I think he, he went cosmic in those issues. It was like a nice uh, eight to nine issue trade where mm-hmm. it's just great looking art. And from what was happening on the Action Comics book, it was more of like a, a reporter mystery in a way. But by the time, like now... The fact that he's gotten off the book, I've never before uh, heard so many people bash a run from any creator where they were just really. Oh, it's just like thank God the countdown is starting, and people were counting down one more issue, wow. and this nonsense ends. And I, I wasn't reading it to know what the problem was. Um, yeah. But I also was. He also was uh, teamed up with John Romita Jr., which for me, it's like. This is an alternate universe where you get the two guys <laughs> so tied to Marvel working together on the other side of the street on the, you know, the flagship character of DC. Absolutely. That's really cool. Like, this is something I would have uh, fantasy drafted. And mm-hmm. people were just like, this is a nightmare because Ramita's art is, is subpar. And so it was, yeah, it, 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 it seemed like oil and water from what people were responding online. But then again... That you know, 
There's, yeah. you're, you're never going to please everybody. So I'd have to read it myself. Gotcha. Well, this, and this is the thing, there's so much of, of uh, Bendis that sort of got away from me that I started. Like I hadn't finished his Guardians of the Galaxy. I hadn't finished his X-Men run. You know, I, I don't even think I got to the end of Miles, uh, his run on Miles Morales when he entered the MCU. I started reading that run and yeah. I had read all of the uh, Ultimate Universe runs. So uh, yeah, if I were to catch up on Bendis stuff, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to jump back to his, his Marvel uh Things. And yeah, it's been kind of mixed. Like Event Leviathan uh, was interesting, but I'd be but reading it monthly, it just didn't uh, quite gel for me. And it'd be interesting to see how it reads like in one chunk. And now there's a spin-off, like it spun off into another crossover and another crossover. So I didn't even know how uh, Leviathan kind of ended. Yeah. Uh, I- Although not, we talked about, was it uh, Jim, the, the spinoffs, like Jimmy Olsen by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber and yep. uh, Lois Lane. So yeah. uh, those, were, those were, you know, uh, well, I loved uh, Jimmy Olsen and uh, Lois Lane was good, but kind of uh, fell apart for me at the end, I think I told you. Yeah, yeah. Um, as You know, with DC, I haven't read anything uh, recent, not even in, in Batman, I haven't oh, been keeping okay. up with with much on the DC end until it gets collected. So the Jimmy yeah. Olsen and the, and the Lois Lane. I read the Jimmy Olsen. I started Lois Lane. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, and I've liked their Black Label books. Uh, oh, the Black Label's great. No continuity in there. It's all yeah. standalone and self-contained. Um, I, I've been basically reading anything by uh, Tom King. Okay. Uh, over at over at DC, and again, uh, the apparently. Um, the word on the street is the uh, era of big DC exclusives is over, which is why you've got Scott Snyder and Brian Bendis going off and being free agents again. And I'm uh, I, I'm suspecting uh, that Tom King is working towards the end of his contract, at which point it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, whether he goes and does more Marvel work or whether, uh, you know, he... he strikes off on his own and does more sort of creator own stuff, which I would love to see from, from Tom King. Yeah. It's uh it's such an interesting time. I, I don't know what's happening with DC comics, which is really weird mm-hmm. because you, every day it's being restructured and you hear these rumors of who wants to buy it and, and what's. Yeah. Going. Yeah. But they're, that they'll just simply license out the uh, yeah. comics production is kind of the big rumor. And then you hear crazy rumors like uh, Robert Kirkman's interested in licensing out uh, the DC characters, you know? So uh, the, who, who knows, but this is, this is the thing with licensing. Uh, you get the best of both worlds, right? Uh, this is this is why, for example, Marvel uh, no longer makes their own toys, right? It's like, why make your own toys when you can just get a percentage, like not do all that production work and get a percentage of all the sales of all the Marvel merchandise, right? So uh, if they can farm out uh, all these, you know, and essentially the comics... Uh, uh, there's there's kind of a theory out there that the the comics are an IP farm uh, for the uh, movies, TV shows, and video games, where the real money is, where the real viewership is, where the real sort of mainstream is, uh, which again leads to the licensed products, right? So um, if they end up licensing out uh, the DC characters to other comics companies, uh, those other comics companies will simply be creating IP in turn 
uh, for DC to exploit into their media. So it'll be interesting how that will work. Yeah, it's it's interesting and exciting while at the same time kind of sad to think that, you know, what that that sense of competition in a way is no longer there. They're just going to be IPs that you can license out, which is very cool because there's mm-hmm. endless possibilities. But then there's also that excitement of what's the other side doing? Yeah. That sense of Marvel versus DC, which is more amicable probably than we think, but in all, mm-hmm. it's also good for generating ideas and, and that sort of business competition. Yeah, but would you? The, the other question is, would you? And again, this is pure speculation. We've totally. only sort of heard rumors online, yeah. and it could be completely baseless. We should give the caveat of that. But would it be DC sort of licensing out the characters, all you know, their their entire library of characters to sort of one company? You know, if if someone sort of ponies up to the table, if a, let's say a Boom or an IDW or, or Dark Horse or you know one of the Image. Uh, guys, let's say Kirkman is the big rumor. If they ponied up the the money, uh, do they get the entire universe, or do they are they doing it like they do with the toys? You know, there's no toy company right now that has the master toy license like they did a few years ago, where uh, you know Hasbro or Mattel would have access to all the characters. So, are you going to license off Batman to one company? Are you going to license off uh, the Justice League? Yeah, to that'd be horrible. Company? Could could like a small, you know, small company, uh, you know, go in and and have a look at their catalog and be like, oh, what's the what's the cheapest character we can find here? Uh, uh, you know, could I could I license uh, Sugar and Spike? Uh, you know, could I could I license Brother Power the Geek? Right, 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 uh, right. Into into a comic, how much would that cost? And I'll just go off and do my own indie version of uh, yeah. Brother Power the Geek. I don't know. I think there's, I think there's something to be said about the uh, connection to the history of its publishing, that sort of tradition oh, yeah. and universe that they all and the shared universe is yeah. the big selling point of it. Yeah, uh, which is again its biggest strength and its biggest weakness, especially of late when they've been rebooting like pretty much every five years. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I don't know. Uh, for me, I. It, it is funny. I'm kind of enjoying the quote-unquote out-of-continuity stuff much more, particularly Tom, like Tom King, uh, them taking Tom King's Batman and Catwoman out of the main run and putting it into Black Label uh, has actually made, in my again, I don't know what he had planned, but uh, the end result is, is phenomenal, in, in my opinion, that he doesn't have to worry about continuity. He, he doesn't have to worry about... Uh, uh, the fate of, of certain characters without giving without spoiling things because you haven't read it not yet okay uh, wait until it's collected but yeah. it's uh, I'm definitely really enjoying Batman and Catwoman uh, probably even more than the ongoing Batman series since uh, maybe the War of Jokes and Riddles so interesting yeah I think it's, he excels in that arena of finite storytellings where he he paces it out in a way that you know you're getting a, a beginning, middle, and end. It's mm-hmm. it, he, he's got a density density to his storytelling, while at the same time letting it breathe. And I find at twelve issues, he he's operates at better than anybody. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like um, in in some ways, like it does read like the the conclusion to the to the hundred issue storyline he's been building up. But in other ways, it really stands on its own really really well. 
And the art is <laughs> just mind-blowing. I, I love the art. And I, I don't know if you know the premise of uh, Batman Catwoman uh, at all. I remember uh, hearing him talk about Phantasm. Okay, so you know that this is pretty much a direct sequel to Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the animated series. And, Which is amazing. Uh, I think that's uh, the best Batman movie ever made. Yeah, for me, before getting into the series, I was sitting there and going, huh, why is he bringing Phantasm into this when, you know, uh, there's the Reaper, for example. Like, they, the Phantasm, to me... Uh, you know, great movie, but it was always sort of a watered-down version of the Reaper from Batman Year Two and Full Circle. Right, right. And uh, now that I read it, I, I totally see why he's he's actually brought the the phantasm you know phantasm story into continuity, and this is a sort of direct sequel. But the the phantasm is kind of off screen so far. But uh, uh, yeah, it's much more of a so far. It's much more of a Joker Joker uh, Catwoman story. Very interesting. With some really wonderful twists and turns. Uh, you've read Tom King's Batman run, or at least some of it? I've read up to... I've, I've definitely read past the uh, False Wedding. Okay, um, so... so, so you I'm in the that, 60s. I'm in the 60s okay. issues of it, yeah. So you knew, knew, know in that run that they were kind of jumping back and forth in time a little bit? You'd flash forward to uh, Bruce and Selina as sort of an old... Married couple, okay. I, I, if I remember correctly, uh, so there is some some time jumps in here uh, okay. as as well. And again, putting it in black label just kind of means they don't have to worry about you know DC continuity, which which is phenomenal to me. Yeah, I just yeah. finished reading the question from Jeff Lemire. I wasn't as oh. big of a fan of it as I as I thought I would be because I really okay. like Jeff Lemire's work. I felt yeah, that uh, it was it was good, but uh, I didn't feel it was necessary. Oh, I see. Especially yeah. as a standalone black label, eh? In, in, it's in magazine format, wasn't it? Yeah, did you read it? I read the first issue, and then I had this reaction that I, I often do with uh, comics these days. I'll read the first issue, and then I'll be like, I gotta wait until this is collected, because, again, you know, your attention span, uh, I, I need to sort of read it all in one sitting, so uh, all the details that I miss month to month are sort of more fresh when I read it in one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big question fan. I, I think I've, I, have I mentioned this before? Like, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of that character. Uh, from Denny O'Neill's run, you know, the fact that he is the basis of Rorschach, uh, and we, you can uh, and see I'll, that. You can see that in this uh, in this story. Like, I, like this okay. is where Rorschach comes from for sure. Oh, gotcha. So he's playing he's playing it that way. Eh? Uh, but I'm also a fan of Greg Rucka's uh, uh, handling of Vic Sage and uh, Renee Montoya from the pages of Fifty Two, the weekly series Fifty Two, yes. and her ultimately becoming. Uh, the question. Right. Uh, I think there was an ongoing series that was planned with uh, art by Cully Hamner that never came out because Rucka left DC, but uh, he did get to return to the que- the Renee Montoya question uh, in the pages of uh, Lois Lane. Okay. His recent Lois Lane, which, which was for me the best part of it. The fact that, you know, she was basically, uh, Renee Montoya as the question was basically Lois's partner. Yes. And they were out, you know, solving uh, mysteries and stuff like that. Yes. No, it made made me want, it made me interested 
more interested in the character of the question. I just didn't feel as uh, fulfilled necessarily okay. at the end of it how, all. How many issues were there? It four? was four, four issues. Yeah. Okay. What I really enjoyed, and I and I've been I asked to to get at my comic shop, but they didn't have any copies. And I think for the it seems like ordering and getting stuff from DC for comic shops is a lot more difficult than it once was. So mm-hmm. I haven't gotten my hands yet on the Wonder Woman from Daniel Warren Johnson, which. Oh. That just the, I read the first issue and I and I bought the second issue to support. Is that the, the Dead Earth one? Yeah, yeah. I read the first one and again I was like, I gotta read this all at once. But the art alone is worth the price of admission, dude. Oh yeah, he's he's a really really nice guy. I had the pleasure of talking to him before, but I love um, uh, Extreme and um, uh, Murder Falcon. Mm-hmm. So Extremity, the that's the book. Yeah. His his storytelling and the art, like it's really got a wonderful feel to it. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so happy to see. And he's going to be doing a, a Beta Ray Bill miniseries now. Oh, is he? Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm actually kind of excited about that because uh, really cool things uh, as we sort of cross the street to yes. meander into talking about Marvel. Yes. Um, I think I've told you a few times that I'm really loving Donny Cates' uh, 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 Thor, Run on Thor. And uh, surprisingly, this latest arc, I thought, oh, man, is he going to tie this in with Null and King in Black? And nope, he has not. It has stood alone, and he's brought back some very fun fan-favorite characters um, that I'm, I'm, I'm loving. And again, I, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, when you get a chance to read those trades, jump on board, especially this, this arc, which deals with uh, Donald Blake. Oh, okay, I Thor is one of those characters where, uh, whenever I get into a really strong run of the character, mm-hmm. I realize I love Thor. A good Thor run is one of my favorite. Is one of my favorite things. I, the Jason Aaron stuff, uh, the Walt Simonson, and uh, you know even even some of the stuff. Oh, the Mike J. Michael Straczynski. Like when you get oh, into yes. a good. JMS. Good Thor stuff. It's so much oh, fun. Uh, have you read Karen Gillan's run? I've started digging back into because uh, I, I I hadn't realized Karen Gillan had a run, so I started reading that one. I have not. I I heard I wanted to, but I hadn't heard anything that was uh, a necessarily a strong review for it, and I hadn't. Okay. And and what do you think of it? Um, I've only just started, and I think the main issue is it's so wrapped up in the continuity of the time. You know, but uh, yeah. it's very obvious that Karen Gillan loves uh, uh, Loki, that Loki, that kid Loki character in, in particular. And I think it's it it was also the female like Loki was also uh, cross gendered at the time as well. A fe- Loki was a female. OK. Version of the kid. I, again, I'm, I'm uh, I haven't read the entire run yet. I've been sort of picking at it. But uh, yeah, it'll be I. I I do want to read it sort of in the context of Karen Gillan's work. And again, I always love Karen Gillan's uh, creator-owned work more than the Marvel stuff. But at least the Marvel stuff is always very readable to me, if that's understandable. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm always, uh, I'm always up for reading. Like I'm really happy to hear that post the Jason Aaron run, which was really strong oh, absolutely. Uh, from beginning to end. That the that Donny Cates, which I've enjoyed his Marvel cosmic stuff, I, I really liked uh, Silver Surfer Black, um, and his Guardians of the Galaxy was really really a lot of fun. So Absolutely. I was I'm I'm happy to hear that the the next run on Thor is going to be another strong one so far. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm happy you're enjoying it because you're a good gauge of uh, things that I that I like as well. Um, Can we jump back to the question real quick? I yes, was I yes, was going to yes. ask you: Had you ever read Denny O'Neill's run on the question? None. It's very fascinating to me because, uh, uh, as you know, Alan Moore uh, basically wanted. Originally, they had pitched Alan Moore that he do the Watchmen or the Charlton characters, and uh, what became the Watchmen uh, was his take on it. But Denny O'Neill sort of went in a completely opposite direction than the Anne Randian character. He turned Vic Sage into this almost uh, Zen Buddhist character. I, I would I would love to read that version because I sorry to, to cut you off because. No Reading it, I could. De- I I was like, de- um, Steve Ditko created the question, if memory yes. serves, and yes. he had that that Ayn Randian. There's right, there's wrong. Yeah. There's this, there's that. The black and white. A is a. Yes, and and um, even in the art, there's that very much the shadow of the black and the white to to make you understand w- what you're supposed to feel. Um, and I and I remember that Denny O'Neill had said <clears throat> in an interview that. Him and Steve Ditko, Steve Ditko did not like Denny O'Neill, particularly because their political views were so different, so opposing, mm-hmm. that they, they almost uh, they didn't necessarily get along well in the same room. So to know that the question has such a famous run connected to Denny O'Neill and it's uh, Ditko's character, I thought that was mm-hmm. very interesting. I'd love to read that. Yeah, well, he, he starts off, and, and again, this isn't really a spoiler because this is sort of the first thing that happens in the series. He basically kills the question, shall we say. Right. You know, uh, whether you want to say metaphorically or, or physically, like the char- the Ditko character sort of dies and is reborn uh, somewhat into, yeah, someone who is less, you know, uh, uh, A is A. The, with a black and white world to to yeah this this uh, this character that's always seeking that's always questioning it's it's quite fascinating to me that uh, this is probably the strongest uh, voice that Denny O'Neill has ever had in comics the most personal voice and uh, I had the I had the pleasure of going to uh, the dragon. A couple of years ago, where Ty Templeton interviewed him, and uh, I did have a chance to sort of ask him, "Hey, uh, so have, did you ever talk to Ditko about you taking the question?" And uh, Denny's reaction actually was uh, almost sheepish. He was like, "I kind of regret, you know, taking his character. I feel like I did a disservice to Ditko by taking his character and making it my own." Mm. Which fascinated me to to no end that he had sort of this reaction. Yeah, it, it's uh, that, and that's what interests me so much about it because it was it would almost for him to take the character in that direction would it would it have been uh, an insult to the original creator's vision in a way, kind mm-hmm. of like what people say about Silver Silver Surfer and what Jack Kirby imagined him to be, and then what you know Stan Lee made him into his own sort of uh, voice to express himself. But is it is the Denny O'Neill run collected in... Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's collected in an omnibus, but I know it's collected in trades, uh, 36 issues, and Dennis Cowan does beautiful expressive art. He's kind of... Uh, 
you know, you can see kind of like a Bill Sinkovich well, influence. He, yeah, he, they, they, they did the uh, book with Jeff Lemire, the Black Label, right? They were the artist and, and inker. Oh, oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. So it, it was Sinkovich inking uh, uh, Dennis Cowan? Yeah. That's why I, I, I am looking forward to seeing uh, more of Dennis Cowan return to the character, um, with, particularly with Sinkovich. And Sinkovich actually, I think, did uh, either the first issue cover and then some other covers, or he inked some covers as well. But uh, what was even more interesting about Denny O'Neill's run, and it's a shame that the trades won't collect his letters columns. Hmm. Because the letters columns were really where the conversation was happening between uh, Denny and the readers to some extent, and he would actually point to what he was doing. So uh, one of the huge things for me was the fact that he recommended, uh, have you ever read Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? No. Uh, He had recommended that, and it really was kind of... uh, uh, how you were able to sort of unlock his interpretation of uh, the question. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. I hope, and, I hope they recollect those because I'm looking for it right now online and, and they're not well, available, but it's, it'd be an interesting one to hunt because it, it, well, it intrigues me what you're, you're, what you're describing. Well, even if you can fish out the, the, the original issues, I'm sure there's still littering dollar bins all over the place or whatever. If ever you can even find random issues... Uh, just to read the letters columns to supplement mm. uh, the trade collection, I do recommend it. Denny O'Neill would uh, have his recommended, you know, it was almost like book club. That's so you know, cool. He'd recommend every month a, a different book and that he was reading. And you could tell, like, again, I couldn't keep up because it was monthly. Uh, I couldn't keep up with the books, but uh, it did honestly feel like a conversation. Uh, three years, uh, very tight, where the character had a very set arc and a very set uh, fate. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I've heard. I've always heard good things about it in that you know comic book legend lore of you know the 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 more literary uh, value like those books with that sense of connectivity and value to the reader and and the writer. I've always remembered people saying that about it, but I've I've never gotten around to reading it. And now I I feel like I would really enjoy it. That's a great. Uh, Great sales pitch for it, Sam. Thank you. Well, there's, I'd, I'd even say it was one of the books that should have gone to Vertigo. You know what I mean? Mm, yes, Again, it, yes. And to DC's Sounds like credit, it. they ended the series when Denny O'Neill left. He kind of said, you know what, I'm leaving at issue uh, 36. And they, to their credit, they ended it. Although I think he went back and did like three or four, four issues of the question quarterly. Mm. So I don't know if those are collected, but those are also worth checking out because they sort of take the character into some some other territory mm-hmm. as well. So it was Denny O'Neill's chance to get off the monthly grind, but still sort of continue revisiting the character on a on a sort of quarterly basis to see where he is now. Yeah, that's cool. It was a real pleasure to be able to meet uh, a creator of his of his stature, if you will. Well, when he was when he came to the Toronto Comic Con just before he had passed away, I think maybe a year later. So I was I was really happy to be able to meet him because he was one of those guys who, what he brought back to characters and the type of stories that he, you know, the Green Lantern and Green Arrow, or even what he did with Batman, really, thankfully changed comics to be able to expand what you could do in stories. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then even, you know, his contribution to things like uh, Daredevil, being the editor oh, during sure. that Frank Miller era. You don't realize that, but how intertwined he was. And the fact that Frank Miller sort of sandwiched Denny O'Neill's run, too. Yeah. yeah. On, on Daredevil. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, we got... We were in an hour, and we haven't even talked about WandaVision. That's just what do we do. Do you want to divide this into two episodes? No, no, no. I, I, as long as you're okay to keep going. Let's keep going. Let's I keep really going. Talk about WandaVision. Yeah. I, we haven't even talked about Secret Wars either, which we'll, you just read. We'll get around to it. Let's get into WandaVision because I know we're both kind of itching and we're, we're avoiding it, but we're getting there. So we're an hour okay. in officially. WandaVision. Uh, spoilers. This, is, this show is incredible. <laughs> Sam, give, give, me, so give, me, give me the goods. At the penultimate episode, Ugh. we are at the, we, we, you and I have just watched the penultimate episode and I am so tempted to do what uh, our good friend uh, Kevin Boyd does <laughs> and stay up to three in the morning tomorrow to watch it. But I think I'm going to get up early and run to the studio because, uh, because you know, I, I I'm even at the point where where I need to sort of see this on the larger screen, yeah, to truly appreciate it. So my ritual has been every Friday, I like run to the studio and and just so you know I don't hit any you know uh, spoilers or whatever online or chit chat about it online or or whatever. I I run right into the studio. I head straight for the lounge, and uh, hopefully there's no one else in the lounge. <laughs> to watch how how insanely I watch TV. I watch TV like uh, the girl from Poltergeist, <laughs> you know, with her nose practically pressed up against the screen. Uh, so, so on this on this big uh, uh, flat screen TV mounted to the the wall on on Friday is it's my uh, it's my thing. Just go and enjoy WandaVision, and then I'll go back and like afterwards. Rewatch the scenes that yeah. you know I needed to to sort of pick up more details on, and then I'll go to YouTube and watch all <laughs> the breakdowns and Easter eggs and, and stuff like that that I, I might have missed. So I haven't done that yet. I've just watched the episodes with my wife. Our tradition is Saturday afternoon. Um, we we make sure we like the just the right amount of suns coming in. We get real comfortable. <laughs> got the right snacks. Mind is set. And then we get into the show, and um, it's one of those shows where you forget what you're watching because you become so invested in the sitcom portion that's telling you a story that you need to you need to follow and listen very closely to the little nuances of phrases, yeah. and and you're getting information. But then it goes back into outside of the hex. You're like, oh yeah. Like we're we're in Marvel, like we're in the Marvel universe now. It's the weirdest thing, and it's just incredible to see how they've uh, been able to use this show to open so many doors, possible doors. Like you oh, discussed, yeah. and then in, in greater detail, Kevin discussed a week later. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> the fact that you know they will be spinning off cosmic stuff into this as well yeah. as well as uh, the magic realm and 
boy, where do we even begin? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, the sitcom stuff is still on point. I find myself so getting good. sucked into the sitcom, even though in the back of your mind, you're kind of like searching out the nuances and the subtext underneath it that's informing, you know, the, the bigger world. But you do actually kind of get invested into because because they managed to duplicate uh, Malcolm in the Middle yes. or Modern Family or Family Ties or you know, uh, so well, and the joke writing and and the setups and and you know <laughs> just the laugh tracks are so on point. Yeah, that I find myself like you know because I, I love old sitcoms and I find myself just laughing. Uh, yeah, at, at, at you know the the way they they handle it, all of uh, Agnes's wacky you know uh, neighbor <laughs> stuff when she was when she was uh, coming to look after the baby twins and, you know, Vision was having that, you know, anxiety about her. Like, I, I was actually kind of invested in the, the sitcom yeah. in, the same, in the same way Darcy was. Yeah, you no, know? exactly. Yeah, you, you're, you're watching what the people in the Marvel universe are watching as well. You're watching it with them. You're watching, like, it's, you and, you and Darcy are watching the same show trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, not a pick your own adventure, but one of those things where you're in on it with that those other main characters. And I don't know about you. Uh, for me, there hasn't really been as much surprise as I thought there would be. Like the things that you thought would happen are actually happening, but they're so well executed that you sort of don't even mind. You know what I mean? Or the fact that, uh, you know, they, I mean, the whole time they're telling us something's up with Agnes, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Pretty much. But then they try to sort of throw you off the scent, like that scene in the car, right? But right. then it ends up in. It is Agnes, but you're so overjoyed by by that moment of, of them presenting it as a in an unexpected way as well. The fact that it was sort of a musical sequence, you know, it was yeah. Agnes all, all the time. <laughs> I, I just found that delightful because again, that's a sitcom. That that is sort of a sitcom trope, you know, in terms of uh, she gets her own little theme song and all this, and you get sort of the flashback to see how it was her all along. Um, yeah, again, we didn't learn anything knew there but it was kind of delightful once we did have that sort of reveal like it was no surprise to anyone that she was Agnes Harkness but they executed it so well yeah and I, I don't know enough about Agatha Harkness in the comics to to know directly if she's malevolent or, or a benevolent character but I know that she's closely tied with the Fantastic Four and that she's mm-hmm. the nanny and that she's a mentor to Wanda but is she a a villain of at, at at one point was she a villain and then kind of um, to the other side or is she in the middle she's mostly benevolent but she has been an, an antagonist especially during that uh uh how do i even describe this uh, there there's a lot of sort of gray area particularly in the way john byrne depicted her um, hmm. in the pages of West Coast Avengers. And we can get into West Coast Avengers because of the uh, end credit scene. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she was doing it for, you know, the greater good, but it was no less of a dickish move the way she sort of revealed that Wanda's... I'm getting into spoiler territory. For spoiler the away. Uh, that Wanda's children were actually uh, part of Mephisto's soul. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was a really sort of dickish move. And I don't know if have you seen the the image online of Master Pandemonium, the really creepy image. No. From that West Coast. Well, there, there was a really cheesy villain introduced by Steve Englehart and Al Milgram at the very beginning of the West Coast Avengers, where he's kind of this paraplegic character whose arms and legs are demons. Okay. They're shards of Mephisto's soul or, or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's almost like Voltron. You know what I mean? In terms of, of he's got like demons for hands and arms and legs. And then it's revealed that, uh, you know, part of the hex thing in terms of creating these children out of nowhere from the original 12 issue, or sorry, the uh, 12 issue Wanda Envision miniseries where the kids were born. Uh, again, by Steve Englehart. Um, John Byrne came in and totally took that Master Pandemonium character and there's such a creepy image of uh, Master Pandemonium folks can't see me holding up my hands <laughs> Wanda envisions babies twin babies like as his hands I'll send you this this image it's fantastic but super creepy and, and uh, I think we're headed that way yeah, I think we are kind of headed that way with sort of the Young Avengers twist because the characters did return many years later as uh, Wiccan and Speed of the Young Avengers. That's right. Um, with this last episode, it it seemed as though I imagined that uh, Agatha was going to be, like she, she's the villain, but in that episode that we just saw, it seems more that she wants to know who the heck Wanda is and why she mm-hmm. can do what she can do as opposed to straight up. This is the bad guy of the story. Yeah, no, I think she is like in, again, in, in the comics, she's mostly benevolent, but she has shown, uh, malevolent malevolence almost in the monkey paw kind of wish kind of way, you know, in, uh, I, you read vision, right? From Tom King. The Tom King. Vision? Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, her gift to the Scarlet Witch was that plant, right? And that plant uh, uh, gave certain gifts. And, and, you know, you saw the way the dog died in the TV show was kind of the way the dog died in uh, the Vision series by eating that plant. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, so she's benevolent, but uh, it's always sort of a monkey paws kind of way in terms of sometimes the outcome is malevolent even though her intentions are benevolent for the greater good right okay do you think that there is some i don't think she's the big bad though no just just again because you know this is based on the comics and there will be a further reveal and the reveal is probably that again she's probably a character that's a little more gray than black and white so not really necessarily all good or all bad uh she kind of you know, walks that line. Yes. Do you find that there's any association with the color that surrounds her being the purple and, and with Wanda, they're using more now like that. There's the red of the Scarlet Witch, but there's that, Mm -hmm. that source of yellow from the Mind Stone. Yeah. Did we have this conversation about the, the magic colors or the power colors? Cause, uh, you know, the, the, and I can't, I can't, we probably didn't have it on the air, but we might've been texting back and forth about it. Uh, cause Wanda's powers are reality warping. So the reality stone is red. Yes. That's the um, ether, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
basically, no, that's, is that the Soul Stone in the Marvel Universe, the red one? I don't know. No, I can't keep no, track I think of the, them. I think the red one's reality. Okay. And again, someone in the comments can probably yeah, correct us, yeah. but I think the red one's reality. So her powers that are manifesting as red are reality warping. Um, Agatha's are purple, which I believe is the power stone. Yes. I think that's the power stone. And then uh, both Quicksilver's uh, and speed and actually uh, Photon, Monica Rambeau, uh, their powers are blue, which is the space stone. Yes. And, you know, part of uh, the original Captain Marvel, uh, or no, sorry, the, uh, is, was she the second Captain Marvel? Technically, I think she was the second Captain Marvel. Yeah, she was. Uh, Monica Rambeau. You know, yeah. a lot of her powers were sort of speed-based because she'd always sort of turn to light yes. and speed away and stuff like that. So That's I don't right. know if that has anything to do because she, she's also photon and she's also spectrum because she controls the different uh, frequencies right. of... Uh, light and and sound, I would guess. That's right. Yeah, I think you're correct. Yeah, I think that's her powers. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's very telling that her powers are blue, as are Quicksilver's, and as are Speed. Yeah. So and I, that's the Space Stone. I'm trying to think if there's any that you know that there is some significance to it. You're just trying to figure out if I'm if if my theory is they're using the colors of the. The Infinity Gauntlet or the Infinity Stones. Yeah, and I know Kevin sort of had a theory that these are sort of the wild, like yes. this is the the uh, Infinity Stones uh, powers sort of set, like released out into the universe as sort of wild magic, shall we say. Yes, exactly. Uh, at this point, because uh, I was kind of, uh, early on, I was kind of really heavily invested in Kevin's theory that uh, the Kree, uh, specifically the supreme intelligence was behind this and that she was the she that they were referring to. But I don't, I'm no longer uh, quite on board with that theory anymore. I think I'm back on board sort of Mephisto or Nightmare, or one of these sort of supernatural big bads. There's a tendency that um, I find with Marvel is that they they take liberties to maybe change things where they see fit, but they always kind of source it back to what everyone knows it to be. Like, they give respect to this is what it was in, in the book. Like, Thanos has a has a gauntlet, he snaps his fingers. We're going to do that thing. Yeah. And and I think you're right, too, that they'll probably make it more, uh, have that comic book root to it. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is, often I know with uh, major Hollywood blockbuster movies, these days, they do somersaults to try to appease China. And I know one of China's big things is uh, no movie can promote, uh, uh, you know, the belief in the supernatural. I right. think that's a, a big part, which, uh, uh, you know, again, I don't know if they're trying to tiptoe around that with, with Mephisto as being sort of mm. more doorman, as more these otherworldly beings as opposed to being like demons. And stuff like that. Right. That 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 could be that could be true. Do you think that there's? I wasn't sure if Agatha's questioning of um, Wanda about her childhood and how how did that Stark piece of ammunition not go off for two days? What did you do? What powers do you have? Do you think there's any sort of uh, questioning of whether she's a mutant, perhaps, like she's uh, always think- had latent pow- powers? I think there's no longer a question that she's a she's a mutant. Okay. 
that they were probably, and, and I, I would say they probably had built this in early on with the hopes that they could eventually reveal that she's a mutant and the fact that they acquired Fox and now have the mutant universe available. So, uh, you know, it even if it was uh, a retcon, it yeah. fits very, very nicely to make her a mutant. And then uh, whatever happened to Quicksilver off screen, you know, enhancing his natural abilities. So both of them would have these inherent abilities that would have uh, come out anyways, but they've been enhanced by the stone. The Mind Stone sort of uh, affected their powers and enhanced them. So Quicksilver would have been a speedster no matter what, but now he's that much more of a speedster. Right. And so Wanda would have uh, been able to uh, have these sort of magic, tap into magic powers, but uh, uh, apparently because of the Mind Stone, she's able to do this incredible stuff. And the explanation they've given, she's the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, that's it's it's just amazing how they make the pieces that are so ob- like I didn't even realize that they hadn't called her the Scarlet Witch in the entire MCU movies franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? H- hadn't occurred to me because I was like, well, why aren't they calling this show, you know, Vision and the Scarlet Witch as opposed to WandaVision? And yeah, because it's WandaVision, it's Wanda television. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was quite a, and then him saying, does she have a colorful name? Was it, uh, what's his name, Tyler? Yes. Him saying, oh, does she have a colorful nickname? That's right. And I thought that that, uh, that was his way of saying that she is one of those superhero or supernatural characters that need to be, you know, watched very closely or, or labeled as a terrorist as he was trying to do. So I, and I didn't realize that when they did that reveal with Agatha saying that, I said, Oh, and me and my wife were like, didn't they, they never called her that before. Wow. Although did they just to transition over to our next uh, topic, did they ever call quick Pietro Quicksilver in the MCU? I don't think so. I think they referred to Wanda as like they've called her a witch. Yeah, but they hadn't referred to her as the Scarlet Witch. No. I don't think, uh, it, you know, they ever referred to Pietro as Quicksilver. No, I don't think so. I think you're right. Ah, so uh, here's, well, Quicksilver didn't appear in this episode. We were hoping to get some satisfaction. Uh, what are your thoughts on Quicksilver at this point? Well, there's Peter, a- Peter uh, from... We assume the Fox X-Men or not. Right. That's still left open. I feel sometimes that when I go and, and, and end up talking to, to people like you and Kev who, who are know this well and have, have watched it a little bit more closely, that I've missed something. I'm always scared that I'm like, maybe I, I, I should know this. But what I did remember was that uh, Peter from X-Men uh, universe, him and Monica found the trap door in episode seven mm-hmm. in those post credits. Yeah. So we need to know what they've been up to in the meanwhile. Yeah. So I don't know what, where that could go because I think that wherever they end up is going to, I think, give us the answer to what, who is really behind this all. Are they going to team up? Are they going to battle? You know, it, it's kind of funny. They've left us hanging for one episode but with, with that dangling plot, plot thread. Yeah, I don't know, because maybe that Peter will that you see seeing Monica and her being able to perhaps with her power that she now has um, 
unplug his mind and he can tell you where he's from or who he is or give some info on that? I don't know. Has has Kevin been on the show since uh, we last chatted, by yes. the way? Yes, he was right okay. after you and he gave a, a really, really cool in-depth fan theory. Gotcha. Oh, was that the supreme intelligence theory? I think so. I think we got okay. to that point. Uh, well, Kevin and I were kind of chatting after that last episode and both of us are kind of uh, fans of there's a uh, when we were kids, there was a specific set of issues that John Byrne drew uh, back then, and where Wanda and Vision still didn't know who their parents were. That's right. And there was a lot of they still thought they were the kids of like the Wizard and uh, one of the other Liberty Legion. I think he was married to I don't know if it was Ms. America or something like that. But yeah, they, they were basically still went orphans. by the last name Frank. But then this old man called Maximoff uh, came and, and sort of like, oh, you're actually my daughter and trapped their souls inside these puppets. That's and then right. she got uh, possessed by the elder god Cthon. I'm doing finger quotes, which <laughs> is very Lovecraftian, you know. Right, right. Um, but there was a character uh, in there called Mordred. Yes, who's connected to sort of Camelot as well and the whole yes. mysticism of Wondagore Mountain. But uh, both Kevin and I were, were kind of wondering because he had this kind of hat that reminded us of Mordred and Mordred had white hair as well. Uh, we were both kind of wondering whether Quicksilver was actually, or Pietro was actually Mordred, hmm. given the magic connection and, and all that. But at this point, I'm going to double down. Uh, just like Ag- they tried to sort of pull the rug out, like they kept pointing to, to, to Agatha the whole time, right? Or Agnes, yes. shall we say. Yes. And then they tried to trick us into thinking, oh, it's not really, you know, she's just as much a victim. And it turns out it's her. So I think this, they're, they're double bluffing yet again. Hmm. So this is them saying, oh, maybe it isn't Peter Maximoff from the Fox franchise. Right. It actually is. I think they're just like they double bluff with Agnes. They're double bluffing with uh, uh, Peter, Pietro, to make us think that they're not going that way when, in fact, all evidence points to the fact that they, they will go that way. I think I think you're right. I think it's a lot more this simple. Is, this is leading into the multiverse of madness, for crying out loud. Right. Exactly. How can, how can him being Mordred lead into the multiverse of madness better than Peter Maximoff from the, the Fox movies. Well, yeah. And, and, and it makes sense too, if, if it's uh, confirmed that uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be in the Spider-Man movie. Right? Yeah. Well, it's been confirmed. I think that Alfred Molina. That's right. And uh, Jamie Foxx are at least. So we know that. So there is multiverse hijinks going on, and and this casting just you know points to it to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's that. And and to see them now, f- who better to introduce into the uh, MCU from the Fox universe than somebody that you can immediately have as a, as a familial character, not just a, a popular, like a Wolverine, but here's a character who's in our universe dead still exists here. Everyone kind of knows who that, that character will be because it was in two movies, kind of that, uh, that trope or that, that what's the word that moment that brought humor 
to the to, yeah. the to the films, right? It happened twice, so everyone will remember that character with the the, the music, the headphones on, right? It's oh a, yeah, it's, it's a quick... and and we've we've luckily forgotten that third movie he was in, right? <laughs> but, but I wasn't see in the theaters. Uh, I, I want to watch it just to say I've watched them all, but I've never. There was no corresponding uh, super speed moment that that okay. was as good as those first two. Yeah, uh, but yeah, arguably he's the most popular character. Uh, with you know the most amount of potential from from that series of of movies, right? You know he and his storyline actually didn't uh, uh, play through. So this might be a chance for them to maybe bring in Michael Fast, you know, back the money truck up to Michael Fassbender's house and get him as the MCU uh, Magneto. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Why not? It 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 and it makes uh, that story because I'm watching it and I'm th- and I'm. Thinking to myself, okay, there. She knows who her mama and papa are. This isn't going to be uh, the the. We're not going to have any sort of. Um, could that be Magneto's daughter? Could her father be a mutant too? Well, well but it, could but be it does. Just like in the comics, exactly. Where the the Maximoffs were actually her their adopted parents, and they exactly. just didn't know, right? They died so when they were so young that they didn't have a chance to tell them, oh, by the way, you're adopted, before the bomb hit them, so. Exactly, and, and then it occurred to me that, wait a second, no, you don't know that Magneto is their parent until, you know, 20 years later, almost, in, in, com- in like, publishing timeline. I, I could be off a little bit, but it was a long yeah. time before you figure out that Magneto is, is their father. I think it was like twenty, like something like twenty four or twenty five years. It was like the early eighties. Yeah. After, well, after he had been the uh, leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants with them. Yeah, that's right. So, it, it would make perfect sense for that to work. It could totally mm-hmm. work. So it'll be. Uh, what are your What is your prediction for the final episode? I guess we've kind of discussed it, but you think Mephisto is behind it and the multiverse is opened up. Yeah, the whole time they're double bluffing. So I think uh, we've got Mephisto. You know, if, if we're if we're doing the 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 clue, you know, it's like uh, uh, Colonel Mustard in the library with the candlestick. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say it is uh, Mephisto uh, fucking with the. Uh, 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 multiverse <laughs> was using Scarlet Witch and Agnes to some extent. Okay, yeah, I think I think it's a it it's um that's a safe bet I think, and and I'd probably yeah. go with the same thing. Do you think it's not? It, they've been pointing to the devil the whole time, and uh, you know the alternate theories nightmare. You know, there's there's not been if there were crazy dreams. And mm-hmm. people having, you know, nightmares, it would point to nightmare, and that would be pretty obvious. So, uh, yeah, thinking it's not nightmare, thinking it's Mephisto, thinking we're going to jump over to Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, I think that makes, especially when the Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange has doings with Mephisto, and then from with with a character like Mephisto in the Marvel Universe, there's all kinds of different places you can go now. When it comes to like the Loki series, and even with oh, yeah. if you want to bring in Silver Surfer, Mephisto, I was just about to say, yeah, uh, it opens the, the most door compelling to... to me. The most compelling, uh, like he'll be cool in Doctor Strange, but nothing will be more compelling than say uh, Mephisto versus Silver Surfer, except maybe uh, Doctor Doom trying to retrieve the soul of his mother yes. from Mephisto. 
Yeah, uh, I always like that storyline. And also, oh, here's the here's the other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, if the Maximoffs are in fact their adopted kids, I think we're going to get a reveal of uh, Wanda's mother. Uh, what was her name? Mag Mag Magda. I think in so. In the comics, I think uh, so. Magneto's wife, Magda. I think yeah. um, Being in a lineage of witches, like she'll have inherited uh, uh, magic powers from her mother. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that that would work. Especially, Who might have been the Scarlet Witch before her? Yeah, especially when they took the time to really uh, give you a little bit of backstory on Agatha and and her connection Absolutely, yeah. to you know the the Salem witch hunt. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Do you think uh, oh, I had this is a question I had? Do you what do you think from this series? will carry over as far as it, valuable information, not, necess- not necessary, but valuable information for the Falcon and Winter Soldier that comes, you know, weeks after. I actually don't think we're necessarily going to get a lot of Falcon and Winter Soldier crossover. I think we might get a little more Loki. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. You know, because they're breaking the multiverse and he might be breaking time. I, I believe so between the both of them, they've really, they're really messing with space and time is, is again, my theory. I think I first introduced to you. Yeah. I like uh, that one. Falcon and Winter Soldier seem very, very grounded. So I, I feel like, you know, they're, they're giving us a break from the magic and the multiverse and cause the cosmic stuff again, because they're going to spin uh, Monica Rambeau is obviously headed for uh, Captain Marvel two. And then she's likely headed for uh, Secret Invasion, is my theory, um, in terms of the cosmic stuff. And I think they're going to just keep the Winter Soldier and the Falcon grounded. Okay. I was wondering and if there's They're setting up the Thunderbolts. <laughs> I, I honestly think they're setting up the Thunderbolts. Ah, that's really cool. Yeah, I think you're right. It's funny how uh, I think people in the know like us, we kind of we can kind of look at what Marvel's publishing again to kind of make you wonder if they're hinting at something that's going to suddenly be popular. Mm-hmm. If there's, if, Cause I know that the Thunderbolts omnibus is coming out ah. and it's collecting the, all of, all of Busick's run in, in the book, which I think is 33 issues or so. And if, if that is going to be released just after, the Falcon Winter Soldier with some sort of hints to it, it'll yeah. people will, will have a place to find it all. Have you read the Thunderbolts, by the way? I've read the first twenty one issues or so. I have the okay. whole series. I have the whole so I, I I'm familiar with the premise and, and what like it's a great a great uh, series, great setup. The original. Reading it real time was a lot of fun for me because uh, you know you got to experience the twist in real time. Right. You know, at the end of that, because I think they originally showed up in, I can't remember what series, like the New Warriors or the Avengers or something like that. Like, they had shown up somewhere, and I remember reading that and then picking up the first issue because it was Kurt Busiek. And then the twist at the end was was phenomenal. Yeah. It, it was like, you're sitting there going, well done, Kurt Busiek. That was well done. I, I didn't see that coming, and it all fits perfectly. Like it, it couldn't fit more perfectly than than he did. He had a he had a great 
uh, I think people remember now, but the reaction to what they when they took the Avengers after the Ultimates and, and gave it to Bendis as like a reaction to what Kurt Busiek was doing with the Avengers book. But I feel that his time on Thunderbolts and, and the Avengers and Iron Man during that era of, of uh, Heroes Return, mm-hmm. he was a top-notch creator. He was just Oh, Iron absolutely. Man, still good. is. Uh, yeah. His uh, Astro City is still wonderful. And, and uh, yeah, anytime... Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kurt Busiek as a fantasy writer like whenever he does something fantasy related like the wizard's tale or even his aquaman run was a lot of fun yeah and his conan work was very good too oh absolutely with carrie nord yeah yeah very good i'm a big fan of uh of kurt busick's work it's something that at one point i i didn't um pay much attention or, or give credibility to his name in what i had read from dc like the the superman stuff that he did which was supposed to be, you know, Kurt Busiek's on Superman. I was more interested. I thought it was more Jeff Johns. That was what I liked about it. But mm-hmm. I get a lot of uh, the same the same um, joy that I get out of Roger Stern's work is what I get out of Kurt Busiek. There's a certain classicism to their work. Like, it's classic superheroes. It's no deconstruction. It just is, like, yeah. you know, very pure to me. Yeah, and I feel that they... Uh, and, and it didn't surprise me that with Avengers Forever, they were working kind of hand-in-hand hand to get that project done. And I said, ah, I see the, you know, one person kind of preceded the other. And I think of them mm-hmm. kind of in that same vein. And uh, speaking of Avengers Forever, <laughs> how awesome would an Agents of Atlas be where we get the uh, Jimmy Woo hanging out with a robot and a gorilla yeah, yeah, that would be very cool. <laughs> the, 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 there's endless places they can go with this, and I, and I forget like, oh yeah, they're gonna be doing that show too, and we're gonna get a, a Kamala Khan, and it just I get so excited when I think of. You've, you've read Avengers Forever, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I love so, that book. Uh, I don't know if you you knew this. Uh, basically, there was a when I was a kid, there was a uh, what if that was like, what if the Avengers were created in the 1950s? Okay. And it was essentially Jimmy Woo putting together an Avengers team of Atlas, like Marvel was called Atlas in the 1950s, Atlas Comics, and he put together a bunch of characters from that time period, including Gorilla Man and uh, I think the Robot Man, Venus the Goddess, and uh, 3D Man. Okay. And Marvel Boy. And uh, yeah, that was just a what if, but uh, Busiek... Uh, sort of picked up on that and brought them into continuity. And as a result, they spun off eventually into the Agents of Atlas. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, that was a a book that I had always heard was, it was what, seven issues, but it was dense and it was going to take time to read. And I, I it was you, one of those books where I was like, I got to be in the mood for this. But when I got mm-hmm. to around to reading it, it was uh, just pure fun, pure joy. Oh, absolutely. I just loved it. Yeah, and the Carlos Pacheco art was just pitch oh perfect. Oh, my God. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, speaking of those uh, those series that I have just f- read for the first time, Secret Wars. I had never read it up until a ah, month ago. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, actually, can I have one more uh, one yes, vision yes, thought and then yes. make a suggestion for on sure. top of this? Yes, go how ahead. About, how about... Uh, 
uh, if if you're up for it, yes. How about we reconvene next yes. Wednesday? Okay. With Kevin Boyd, we yes. see if Kevin's available. We can talk about the WandaVision finale, and actually, let's bring Kevin in on that Secret Wars talk. Okay. That How sounds about that? Good. That sounds good. Yes. Because, and let's uh, just. I was going to. Kevin was actually going to be on the show next week. Oh, was he? Okay. So gotcha. it'll work out perfect. If we can, if we can have a three-way on on that, and actually, I, I, my uh, one other sort of WandaVision spinoff, as we're talking about where these threads are going to lead. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the white vision in the room. Yes, that's right. It was spoiled for me simply because all of the comic book covers started getting posted on my Instagram feed. Everyone was showing that they got a copy. <laughs> And I said, oh, yeah. I guess I and know this, what's going to happen. this is just going to shoot up in value, and it's going for $200 on eBay or whatever, right? Yeah, instantly. It became the hot, the hot book <laughs> suddenly everybody wanted. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I was saying I was kind of hoping that we would see the white form of vision. From, had you read John Byrne's West Coast Avengers run? No, I have it collected on my shelf because I, in- I I intended to get the omnibus, but I got the two trades instead because I felt like that that'll suffice. So I intend ah. to read it, but I was going through uh, that era reading Absolute Vision, mm. and then I wanted to finish Absolute Vision and go into the West Coast Avengers because I feel like that's where Absolute Vision finishes, and it picks gotcha. up in West. If I'm am I rem- remembering correctly? Absolute Vision. Um, it was during the Roger Stern Avengers run where Vision becomes more and more. Uh, he has this. Oh yeah, when he tries to take over the world. Yes, that that story. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. I, and That's I, a good run. And that does that go into West Coast Avengers right after? If if the timeline um, goes okay, here, here's the timeline. Uh, if if I'm remembering correctly. Um, with in terms of vision, I think uh, there was the vision in Scarlet Witch four issue miniseries. Okay. Where it was revealed that Magneto was their father. Okay. Um, and then yeah, uh, the the absolute vision where he what is it the he merges with with the the giant supercomputer from the is it Titan. Isaac, the giant yes. supercomputer? Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and She-Hulk was part of that run, right? Yes. She was one of the Avengers during that run? Oh, yes, yes. So then after that, they go off to the suburbs. Uh, Steve Englehart takes them, and uh, that's the 12-issue uh, Wanda and Vision series. Okay, was that a good series? Uh, it was okay. I, 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 I like it because it was a very pleasant series. It was a very nice series in that they are sort of it was almost like a sitcom i i can see a lot of where wandavision comes from is from this sitcom and there is a lot of soap opera involved but i feel like not a lot happened other than the fact that they set up shop and they have babies gotcha gotcha. you know and and there was a cute thing where every month corresponded with a holiday so you had the christmas issue the halloween issue the valentine's issue um Martin Luther King Day, mm-hmm. uh, as they were looking for you know holidays to tie in. Yes. So uh, they and then they went from that to the West Coast Avengers to yeah uh, 
uh, Burns Run. Yeah, so I, I was trying to make sure that I read everything to kind of get – it's that you know needless nerdiness to <laughs> reading comics. No, I, I get it. I get it. So yeah, uh, I, I went through one fan expo where I had bought all of these of the Avenger collections with saying, okay, now I got – now I had this whole pocket couple of years worth of Avenger stories that I can now read. So I, I haven't gotten around to finishing it, but uh, I definitely intend to. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, I don't know if you want to jump forward and read those burn runs, uh, those burn issues before we talk next week, because I, I have a lot to talk about in terms of those burn issues. But you, you at least know the uh, Kurt Busiek run of Avengers, right? Yes, I, I have the uh, all of the Kurt Busiek run and i've read all of the um all of the issues i've read all of the issues up to when george perez finished the art so i have the finale to go now okay so you are aware that uh wonder man vision and scarlet witch were kind of in a love triangle yes and that basically comes from burns run uh because from the beginning uh you know vision uh sorry wonder man was dead Technically, at the time, because uh, DC kind of requested they not have a Wonder Man, right? Because uh, they had Wonder Woman, so they killed off Wonder Man, and uh, but they did use uh, uh, Wonder Man's brain patterns That's and right. put it into to Vision. So, uh, you know, it was never a thing up until Burn, and Burn's kind of like, hey, if. Vision fell in love with Scarlet Witch. Wouldn't Wonder Man be totally in love with uh, Scarlet Witch? And so, yeah, he created that soap opera and was able to create this soap opera because, you know, it would have been a little a little uncomfortable uh, given the fact that Vision and Scarlet Witch were married and they had kids. So I think uh, Byrne kind of blew, the, blew up that situation by making the kids... Uh, you know, uh, not real, shall we say, and then taking away Vision's emotions mm-hmm. and memory and making him the all-white Vision. So I kind of want to see them recreate that. So now they have the white Vision. Yes. And they've hinted at Wonder Man. I think there was a movie poster in the background. So ah. uh, I would like to see them introduce Wonder Man and then slowly build this love triangle up. Yeah, that, I can totally see that happening. Um Especially, like, it makes total sense to go that way, to make possibly vision the the machine that Wanda has to stop when it's all said and done to make her maybe break out of this hex is to have to face vision in a very different capacity if Mm -hmm. he's going to be now working for the other side. Um, Yeah. And the other possibility is we talked about the absolute vision uh, series where vision sort of, uh, you know, tried to take over the world so to speak in order to to do the most good right right uh so if again we don't know the fate of the vision in this but we do know you know white vision is out there uh maybe they'll pursue that storyline and it becomes this heartbreaking thing for uh wanda uh to have to try to stop vision from taking over the world yeah, yeah, no. Very, With very this new character, Wonder Man, and they could spin off into, you know, Force Works or whatever, West Coast Avengers. There's a lot of possibilities here. There's yeah, a lot of story potential. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very, very exciting. One of, one of the other uh, episode ideas that I have that I want to execute, whether it's over uh, Skype or in person with you and Kevin specifically was a spotlight on John Byrne. Cause I know both of you guys oh, are absolutely. very big fans of his and know his work. Well, 
Um, Absolutely. And you've brought him up a number of times now, especially related to this show. So I'd, I'd like to do an episode like a, a focused in top five John Byrne stories or contributions because his, his contributions seem to be to come in and just like shake everything up and, and disturb the toys in a way and then say, okay, guys, <laughs> now you play with them. Absolutely. And actually, it's funny, uh, Kevin and I have been uh, kind of talking off screen about doing a little bit of a live live stream where we sort of flip through our favorite uh, burn comics. So oh, this will be a good impetus for us to sort of uh, get off our duffs and try doing that as well. We'll do it uh, uh, as a standalone with you. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So next week, we will reconvene. I'll, I'll uh, double check with Kevin to see if he's good. And we will talk about the finale of WandaVision and we will talk about uh, where Marvel goes from there and Secret Wars. I'm excited. Yes. And that will be a five-hour episode. <laughs> You're probably right. That'll be a two-parter. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Uh, I always appreciate talking to you and, and uh, I could talk to you all day. It's always fun. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and, and downloading the episode. Please stay tuned. Next week, it's uh, we're going to have a couple of really cool episodes. I'm, I'm excited to have them, especially now that uh, Sam and Kev will be together. Uh, fingers crossed. And we're going to get into some really fun comic book stuff. Uh, be sure to leave a rate and review for the podcast and check out heysamnoir.com. Is that the right website, Sam? Uh, at heysamnoir on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. And uh, support Bally Skillin and all the books that Sam is working on. Till next time, everybody, we will talk soon. Thanks, Eric.